0: our finding peace with series and today's finding peace with finances so that's why you saw a video about giving uh and when it comes to finding peace i'm going to end and begin this message with one one big idea and that is that one way we find peace with finances is through giving that's by giving we find more peace with with what we have and how we choose to to give what we have but when it comes to finances perception's not always reality i've known people that uh were were um, not very wealthy, but they had the perception of that. They were deeply in debt, actually, and they had fancy cars and all this sort of thing. But they didn't have a lot of wealth. Um, and I, it reminds me that perception not, not, is not reality. It reminds me of a story of a man who wouldn't go to church. His wife comes down to the kitchen one day, they're getting ready to go to church, and she's dressed, she's ready to go. He's sitting at the kitchen table in his underwear, reading the newspaper, drinking coffee. She says, honey, you get up, we gotta go. you are gonna be late, you have, we have, we have to leave. And he said, I'm, I'm not going to church. And she said, well, why not? She, he said, because I don't like those people and those people don't like me. So I don't wanna go. And she said, you're gonna go and let me tell you why. For one, you need to hear what God has to say to you and two, you're the pastor. So you need... So put on some pants, honey. Perception is not always reality. Idaho carpenter Dale Schroeder in 2005 told his lawyer, I want to provide a scholarship fund for people that go to college because I can never go to college. He was a blue-collar laborer. He never got married, never had children. And he lived a carpenter life. And his lawyer's jaw hit the floor when he saw what Dale wanted to provide to fund this scholarship fund, $3 million dollars that Dale had saved and worked over and invested, and then he gave it all away near the end of his life. And he has so far paid for over 50 young people to go to college in the state of Idaho. Perception's not always reality with money. That's what's tricky about it, is it's an intensely personal thing. Because deep down, money reflects the priorities of our lives. Church budgets reflect the priorities of a church and so so also our budgets reflect the priorities of our lives now as a pastor I am called to build you up in Christ to help you grow in your faith to serve you in that way and one big way is to talk about finances and finding peace with that because that is a huge part of our lives our daily decisions and how we live our lives because when we're talking about money we are talking really about your heart your priorities. Like I said, what you are most important to you. Now, some people will hear that and go, yeah, right. Your heart. Uh-huh. Churches, you just want money. That's what churches like to do, right? And there are some ministries out there that they, they do. The pastors carry Gucci bags and they wear $1,000 sneakers and that sort of stuff. And I have a problem with that. You know, I don't think, I think you need to live a humble life. But not all churches are like that. What I'm concerned about is your heart before God and finding peace with your finances before God. But some people just want to get it over with when it comes to giving in in church. It's sort of like that little boy in church that's with his mother and he's intensely bored as children are sometimes in services. And he wants to go home and he feels like he is literally dying with boredom. I was there as well when I was a kid. And he sees the offering plate going around, and he sees people putting money in it. And he says, Mommy, if we just pay the man, can we go home? <laughs> Some people treat money like it's a hostage situation. And if I pay God, can I get out of the deal? But we know there's more to giving than that. People have said money is the root of all evil. That's not actually true. Money is really like a tool. It's like a hammer. You can build a house with it, or you can cause great harm. It is, it is something that in your hand you can choose what to do with it it's a spiritual indicator of the priorities of your life now some people could be hearing this and saying my finances are a complete disaster i'm a wreck i do not have peace about it maybe you own a business and it's underwater or you owe more than you're bringing in i don't know or you could be thinking i'm quite comfortable i have no debt and i have a lot of wealth built up or maybe you're somewhere in the middle But what matters is, it's not about how much you have or you don't have. What matters is what you do with what you have. God does not care about the amount. He cares about your heart and which it comes from. That's why in the the, the, the story of the widow's mite that Jeff is preaching on today, about this poor woman that literally gave all that she had in the world in the temple treasury box. And Jesus, this was like the last week of his life. In the Bible and well how does he spend his time he's sitting in the temple watching people give <laughs> he's watching them give and he sees this woman give it, it wasn't about the amount he said there's all these rich Pharisees they're giving a ten percent of their income but that's not that much money to them To her it was everything and Jesus said I see that gift and I will honor that the problem is not having wealth either the problem is How to be wealthy for the kingdom of God. Because what God cares about is people. That's the main thing God cares about. The empire of this world will use people to win money. I've read news stories about people that work in Amazon warehouses and they have to pee in bottles. and (laughs) It's like this draconian, apparently, work conditions. I'm not sure. But people in Jesus' kingdom, we should use money to win people in love that's the purpose it's a tool to help us do ministry in the world we're not like the world we're not trying to gain money to use people to win possessions that's not why we're here so be encouraged because jesus taught on money more than almost any other subject even more than prayer he did that not because he wants money actually he owned basically nothing what he wants is disciples. That's why he taught about money so much. Because he knew that money is the indicator of your heart. So in America, as a Christian, we walk though in this tension of living in a land of deep, deep materialism and all about possessions. I can, you can literally order something on your phone in five seconds, it's really fun. I'm an Amazon guy, you know, and you just bam, and it comes to your house. It's pretty incredible. But, so we struggle though, well, on one hand, with the materialism all around us, at least you should struggle with it, and the fact that we follow the Son of God who literally possessed nothing. He didn't even have a house. I mean, think about that. Jesus was effectively homeless. So we walk in this tension of having these two competing, seemingly competing worldviews. I mean, how are we supposed to have peace with that? I mean, look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 9. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus' response is basically, Are you sure about that? Because foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, animals are living better than I'm living right now. I, the Son of Man, I don't even have a place to lay his head. So, are we supposed to feel guilty for owning a house, for having a decent car, for saving for the future, for providing for your children? Again, it's not about how much you do or don't have. It's about what you do with what you do have. Because, of course, we can have homes and have cars and save money. Jesus stayed in the homes of people. He didn't shout down Mary and Martha for having a house. He he stayed with them. The first Methodist bishop, Francis Asbury, he would do the same thing. He stayed in people's homes all the time, all across the eastern seaboard of the United States. Um. That's the way it's been over the years. I mean, the first convert in Macedonia in the book of Acts, the first convert was a woman named Lydia. And she was a a dealer in fine fabrics and and clothing dye. She was very wealthy. And it's widely believed that Lydia uh, was a leader in that first church, and she financed a lot of the ministry that happened. So she probably hosted the first church. So of course you need people with resources to make things happen. When well, I worked at the Billy Graham Association, I worked in the mail room every day, and I would open up mail, 30 of us would be sitting there opening letters from all over the place. But you, you want to hear some crazy stories. And myself personally, I opened many times checks for $250,000. I don't know if it's actually cleared or not, but <laughs> they might have. Think of all the good that that money did. Or you open, I opened up change from children, $5 bills that kids had tithed. Think of all the good that that work had did. It all makes a difference. It's not about how much you have or don't have. It's about what you do with it. So the answering to that question is what am I going to do with what I have? That's the first step to finding financial peace is what's your plan? What's your giving plan for the kingdom of God? In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks to a crowd of people with probably, definitely, far greater poverty than any of us have ever faced, or will ever face. The amount of poverty that he was looking out on, that sea of humanity that would follow him around. And he looks at them and he compares their lives to flowers and birds. So what's he doing there? What, what is he thinking about when he's making this reference we're going to read. What he's really saying here is that I'm warning you about having a duality of affections, about making mammon or money or possessions or stuff higher than God in your life. I'm warning you about having a dichotomy of the heart. Whom will you serve? Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries at a single moment to your life that's a whole different sermon right there and why worry about your clothing look at the lilies of the field and how they grow they don't work or make their clothing these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all your needs this is the next verse a good one to memorize seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need see the kingdom of God is not found in food and drink and gluttony, and sex, and opulence. The kingdom of God is not found there. The kingdom of God is found in righteousness, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is found in this unseen things that we can't see here and now, but Jesus says we are storing treasure in heaven when we make the kingdom our focus. So Jesus, who didn't own anything, seems incredulous to these people that they're worried about clothing, and food but notice what Jesus isn't saying he's not saying don't get dressed don't eat don't even own anything he's warning against greed and the obsessions of those things that are never satisfied right when Americans have been polled uh, this consistently has been the same answer every single time they've done this poll how much money would you need to be comfortable and people across every financial strata have all have give the same answer about 30 percent more isn't that interesting people that make over a million dollars a year said i could use about 30 percent more (laughs) or if you make forty thousand dollars i could use about 30 percent more we always want just a little bit and a little bit and it's never ending so jesus says to be on guard against greed in luke chapter 12 life is not measured by how much one owns, I saw a, a bumper sticker one time, and it said, uh, "There's no U-hauls in cemeteries." It's a little bit, it's a little bit trashy, but I got the point. Okay, you can't take it with you. I get that, but greed doesn't really bring out the crowds. You know, we're not, we're not going to want to come to hear sermons about greed. Tim Keller, the pastor in New York, he gave a, a sermon series on the seven deadly sins. And his wife Kathy told him, I bet you when you talk about greed, it'll be the lowest attended day that you do. And she was right. Uh, When people packed out for lust, they were crammed in for wrath, even pride. But lust, nobody really thinks they're greedy. You know, especially if you're a pastor long enough you definitely meet enough people and they come to you with things they want to talk about but no one's ever come to me or probably many other pastors and said i want to talk to you about the greed in my life i want to talk to you about how my greedy lust for money and possessions is harming me and my family my soul my people around me greed is very insidious it hides itself from the victim The money, God's modus operandi, includes blindness to your own heart. So we hear about all this. How can we have peace with that? How can we we distance ourselves from greed? How do I peace my finances? The first is simply debt, death to debt. And I can speak from experience on that in the course of my life. Proverbs 22, 7, just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender that is absolutely true before you're ordained in the United Methodist Church uh, you stand before the bishop in the stage Lake in Western North Carolina and the bishop asks he asks you John Wesley's classic questions are you going on to perfection and all these sorts of things and one of the things he asks is are you in debt to a level so as it may harm your ministry and there's always a little sort of nervous chuckle ha 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 but a lot of people standing on that stage know the answer to that is yes Because to go into their divinity school, they probably owe tens of thousands of dollars. And so they're already feeling underwater as they go into ministry. The reason John Wesley asked that question to his ministers, his pastors, and to us today, is because he wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. And when we're in debt, to a great degree, we're not free. We are slave to the lender. My father was raised on a tobacco farm in Pilot Mountain. So he came from very humble means and his story always has inspired me because uh, he paid his way through Wake Forest University. And that was his only option, he had to. And I never forgot that. And, and he, of course, he and my mother of course paid for my college education but when it, come, when it came to divinity school then it was more my responsibility. And it's interesting how you're more motivated to get good grades when you're the one paying the bill. <laughs> well, I was like, wow. I'm gonna trying to get the dean's list this time, you know. And so when I went to divinity school, I made up my mind: I am not going to. I'm going to really try hard not to go into debt, not to toot my own horn. And God provided through scholarships other ways and savings, and I did. I managed to get through it with zero debt, because I didn't want to be slave to the lender. I wanted to come out of it clean and just be able to jump into ministry. Now, there's been many parts of my life though, and some of you with comes to debt when you've been so cash strapped or in debt you're thinking i would love i would love to be generous but i don't have it and i think that's true i don't think god wants us to to give ourselves into debt okay so it doesn't again it's not much how much you have or don't have but what you what you do with what you have the per, the percentage of that when it comes to debt and finances i've fallen into this trap Some, a lot of people do you you, you, you almost want a miracle. to, to, to That's like your financial plan. <laughs> the publisher's clearing house or I'll win the lottery and then I'll be good. And, and that, that's, that's really not a miracle. That's really what we call magic. I want God to wave a magic wand and just make it all go away. That's not a plan. It's not really faith either. That's more sleight of hand and illusion. No, before a miracle can happen, sometimes you have to step out in faith. Sometimes you have to make a plan and step out, and meet God, and, and trust him to do that miracle, to, to help you take a step by step. So, so what do I mean by that? If you want to get out of debt, and you're deep in debt, have you cut up your credit card yet? Have you taken the necessary steps to stop the overage that you're, that you're spending? It, it takes work, and it takes a plan, a consistent plan, and bit by bit, month by, by month, A big thing that's helped me in my life is Dave Ramsey's debt snowball technique. Anybody ever heard of this? It's really, it's very simple. I I hope I can read this. (laughs) It's just a simple idea that you list your debts from the smallest to the largest, and then you take that smallest debt and you just go after it. You go after it with a budgetary mindset, and then once that one's paid off, you take that payment you were paying on the smallest one and move it to the next one. And then you move it to the next one until it starts to snowball. It takes a lot of work and time, but it's possible. And look up Dave Ramsey online. He has great advice about getting out of debt. Secondly, is a stewardship minds, mindset. Having more of a, a, a we don't use the word steward a lot in our world today. It's a very strange word, steward. But uh, you know, in the, in the ancient world, um, owners of property would entrust their, their uh, responsibilities of their land to a steward. The steward would manage their assets. They would entrust them to do, deal with their, all that they owned while they would be away. In Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of the story, God owns everything. He owns all things. And at the end of Genesis 1, he looks at Adam and Eve and he says, Okay, now you run the ranch. And you try and name all these animals i love this meme this adam trying to figure out what to name all them animals you you but really what it's saying is god trusted us to be stewards of creation at the very beginning before the fall all of this i give to you i, I want to bless you with this you're in charge of all of this stewardship mindset has implications for how we treat the environment how we use our time when we see that it's not from us but it's been given to us. How we treat our bodies as temples of the Holy Spirit. How we raise our children. That your children are gifts from God to you. That you're called to steward their lives. That basically you're not entitled. But we are entrusted. We are entrusted with what God has given us. And Jesus in the Bible, the owner of that ranch, will come back. And see what have you done with what I have given you? Have you been fruitful with it? Or have you buried it in the ground and just let it do nothing? Or have you been been prosperous with what I've trusted you with? Have you bared fruit for the kingdom with what I've given you? And then lastly, it's what I call the law of reciprocity. I love that word, reciprocity. It's, It's fun to say. But this is just a take on Luke 6.38 where Jesus teaches this. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full. Pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured, poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. See, one of the great cures for greed and having financial peace is giving, is giving. It's sort of like how marriage should control promiscuity. Generosity is the antidote to the problem of greed, It keeps us in check. It keeps our hearts in alignment with the will of God. And don't just give it out of obligation, but you give until it feels good. That you, you are essentially a co-laborer with God by our giving. In the measure you give, Jesus says, it will return to you. Not so you can just keep it, but so that you can keep it going. Dwight Moody said, God will allow thousands of dollars to flow through your hands if you don't let any of it stick. That there's this... There's a spiritual law at play. When we give, we shall receive so that we can give more. When I was a camp director at a a mission camp one summer, uh, we had to raise money and uh, to pay for the wheelchair ramps and all the materials. And we were desperate to get out any way to let people know that we existed. So in the town of Lenore, we've all been to Lenore, I found a little AM radio station that let me be on a a call-in show that probably no one listened to. But I was very excited to be, it was my only call and show in my life, and the show was called Chit Chat. And so I was on Chit Chat, and, uh, and then you know, I was telling them all about what we do, and, and then of course no one called in, and I was feeling very discouraged. Well, little did I know, my staff members, while I'm sitting there, the phone rings, hi, you're on Chit Chat? And my staff called in, and one, one girl on my staff said, yeah, that sounds great, how can we give money? to help you guys, you know, the sort of trolling us on our own radio show. And so we did that. It was the very beginning of the summer, and I kind of forgot about it. I forgot that we'd even done that. The end of the summer, uh, the last camp week, I'm near a telephone, this is back when telephones were stuck on walls, and you would pick them and answer them, and um, the phone rings, and and she said, yeah, uh, we heard you on the radio like two months ago, we'd like to give you a (laughs) thousand dollars. I was like, wow! You know, we had been giving and giving and giving, and God, it's nothing to him to provide, to give. And so there's this law of reciprocity that when we give, we shall shall receive so we can give more. Now, John Wesley, in closing, he had three rules for financial peace. These are quoted frequently, and with good reason. Gain all you can, save all you can, and the all-important third rule, give all you can can we like the gaining part even the saving part feels good but the giving part that takes obedience and obedience we can have a hard time with but here's the trick though obedience actually makes your life more simple and it clears up spiritual confusion sometimes we think our way through spiritual stuff a bit too much sometimes the answer to living the spiritual life is a simple obedience And the action of that is faith in action when we're obedient to give. John Wesley had strong words. We we take those three three rules, but he has other things to say about it that don't get quoted in memes very much. Um, He said, yes, you observe the first rule, gain all you can. A few of you observe the second, save all you can. But how many of you actually observe the third rule, give all you can? I don't think 500 among the 50,000 Methodists at the time are giving. And yet nothing can be more plain than to all who observe the first rules that without the third, you are twofold the children of hell than you ever were before. (laughs) Don't hear that a lot from a lot of pulpits in Methodist churches. But he's really saying this, if you're not giving, and you're doing the first two, then what's the point of the first two at all? If those who gain all they can and save all they can, who, and they likewise give all they can, then the more they gain, he says, the more you will go, grow in grace. And the more treasure you will lay up in heaven. I'm going to close this in prayer because I really feel that there's people listening who do not have financial peace, and it's a daily wear on your mind and your body and your soul. It's a deep, deep stressor for a lot of people. So I want to say a prayer for whoever you are right now th- right now and let us know how we can pray for you. And I want to pray for wisdom for you. And maybe it's your business is not doing well, or you've just simply spent more than you have, or I don't it could be all sorts of situations. So let's pray together. God, I lift to you those listening or watching that do not know where the answer is gonna come from right now. They feel overwhelmed they're tired they're, they seem like they're drowning and it can feel that way we can simply feel slave to the lender God I pray Holy Spirit that you do indeed give them wisdom to see that there can be a plan and a way out and God maybe that plan begins with trusting you in small ways trusting you with a small gift here and there that it sounds crazy but that maybe we can give our way out of debt that giving unlocks limitless potential of how you will use us in the world Lord we thank you that you are always a giver that you pour out good gifts upon your children thank you that you forgive us for the ways that we hoard those gifts we want to keep them for ourselves but God you want us to live lives with open hands that bless others, to be co-laborers with you in this kingdom work that we are so privileged to be entrusted with. Spirit of God, help us to have an entrusted mindset about all that you've given us, not just our money, but all the the responsibilities and gifts you've given us. Lead us, God, in wisdom. Help us to help each other, to encourage one another, and see that there's always hope